today is Psalm 72. And uh, first seven verses in the 18th verse. They're not up there, so just open your ears to hear it. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people in the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and the peace abound till the moon be no more. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Lord be with you. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading for today is in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is in Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truth, truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. 
Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise and honor the gospel. Our gospel reading from Matthew's gospel in the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated, and I invite our young ones up. Welcome. Welcome. Miss Rachel really, really wanted to be with you this morning, but she's feeling a little sick, so she's home this morning. So we'll keep her in our prayers as well, okay? But we're going to keep on what she was working through with you all as we look at our Advent wreath and as we think of those things that God has given to us and promised us and these things we wait for in Jesus. Mercy and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for gathering us together to this place of rest, where you gather us around your word, you gather us around your gifts, you work by your Holy Spirit to hold on to us, your beloved children that you have brought through the waters of baptism to uh, trust in your promises and rest in your grace. We pray you move by your Holy Spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds and lead us ever to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Prophetic words like Isaiah's are always very interesting because prophetic words are also very poetic words more often than not. And so as we look at things that are prophesied, you have to remember that this is a human being that has been given a divine vision or word and trying to explain that divine vision or word with human words, trying to wrap their own heads around what it looks like. And so all of these 
prophetic things don't always have a linear timeline in the midst of them, but it's conceptual and it is real events that are going to happen, but they may not always have the dates in which they're going to happen. And so sometimes stuff kind of starts to get mm, muddled. It's not that it's false information, but you can imagine receiving information about something that was going to happen in the future, trying not to fill in the blanks too much, but also relay whatever it is that information is to other people. And it can be a hard and tricky thing. In my mind, I mean, it seems like all the prophets would always come before David and before a lot of the kings and everything. That's not true. Isaiah was 300 years after David, okay? So you've had David, you've had Solomon, you've had all of the judges where things were up and down and terrible and, and not really all that good. And then this divided people before David that got unified under David, that got a temple under Solomon, completely fell apart and got divided again by the time of Isaiah. About 600 or so years before Christ. So you have this time frame of things that are going on where everything's broken and now this prophetic word comes to Isaiah and he's telling the people that there is hope, there will be salvation, but the people have really messed stuff up and that some bad things are going to happen. But there will be one that's going to come, one that's going to come that's going to judge or rule or lead, right, <clears throat> with righteousness and faithfulness. You can imagine after all those years of the judges when temples were being corrupted by other practices. And I say temples because you had the northern kingdom with one. You had the southern kingdom with one. They both had places of worship. You have all these other practices from the people outside of the nation of Israel coming in. And you can imagine their desire and their want to be a unified people once again. This longing to have God leading them once again. This longing that they're not seeing and something they haven't seen for quite a while. And as we think through Isaiah's words, it's really interesting what he uses, right? A shoot from the stump of Jesse, one from the root of Jesse. All right. Jesse, David's dad, right? David and actually Saul's dad as well, the first king, and then David and then Solomon's grandpa. Uh, so you've got Jesse out here, and think of those words that he used. So you can imagine the vision coming to Isaiah that somebody down the line, and a descendant of David somewhere down the line, a descendant of Jesse somewhere down the line is going to come in and rule the people of Israel once again and lead the people of Israel once again from a stump. Why a stump? Well, when we think of a family tree, we think of a blossoming, beautiful family tree with branches and everything, right? That's been cut down. That lineage, that, well, maybe the lineage hasn't been cut, but that lead, that rule, everything that had been built up through David and Solomon is now broken apart and gone. And then we start to think, okay, well, it would be one growing from that stump. Have you guys ever done that with trees? Like you cut down a tree that has a bunch of leaves and then they start to leaf from the branches and everything? You know, that seems to make sense, except what are Isaiah's words? A root from the stump of Jesse is going to come. That's kind of interesting. Like one that was there before Jesse ever was. 
one that was there at the beginnings of things, one that fed the entire line of Jesse and David, one that was there that could do all on his own without anything else that was up above it, the actual source, the foundation of Jesse's line. That's an interesting thing to think of. You hear that in David's Psalms as well, you know, when he talks about one who is his Lord, yet one that was before him and one that will come after him. You hear it in John the Baptist as he prophesies about stuff as well. And so you've got all this beautiful, wonderful, poetic, prophetic imagery of things going on. And then you hear of this one that's coming, that's going to come and judge. The, the spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him and the spirit is going to lead him with knowledge and wisdom and with might and with righteousness and faithfulness. In fact, he says his belt will be righteousness and the belt of his loins. He has like the belt of one thing and the belt of another. So two belts holding everything together for this guy, this one that is to come, is righteousness and faithfulness. And in this righteousness and faithfulness, he's going to judge the meek with equity and the poor going to bring justice into things. Man, if there's anything that our history, our people have ever wanted more than anything, and you see it around you all the time, is this clamoring for justice, for things to be made right. I heard some very interesting terms this other day. We think of legal justice, no problem at all. We think of a wrong being done and a right being needed to come from that, right? Something happening as a consequence for the bad action that came. We hear of social justice where you're trying to figure out socially how things are going to come out with some equity. I heard another interesting one today, environmental justice. I don't know exactly how that works. Who's going to speak for the trees? They might need the Lorax in the middle of that to bring back a Dr. Seuss thing into things. But nonetheless, we see kind of a chaos and a brokenness in the middle of the world in all kinds of different aspects, and we look for this justice, and we look through different people to bring it in. And in the middle of that chaos and everything that's going on, sometimes we hear of good justice, and other times we just see more and more of things that don't go the way that sound like the end of Isaiah's prophecy. We kind of see the opposite more often than not. See, that end of Isaiah's prophecy in this moment that we're reading through sounds beautiful. There's no more contention between things. In fact, animals of prey will lay down with their prey and just relax and finally rest. See, in the middle of chaos, what do you feel? Do you ever feel rest or do you feel stress? generally pretty stressful in the middle of chaotic things. It's stressful when you have an idea of what something should be like and you don't see it happening that way at all in life. You have stress when you know what God wants for you in your life, like to live a particular way or to take care of the people around you or to love in a particular way, and yet you know that you don't do that as much as you should. It's stressful. It brings on guilt and repentance and everything else, and we start to feel bad about those things, and rightly so, because they're not good things when we break the gifts that God gives us, when we abuse the gifts that God gives us. That's sin, and sin brings chaos and all kinds of brokenness into the world and injustice, 
And so in the middle of all of that injustice, in the middle of all of that stress, in the middle of all of that chaos, we continually look forward to a time of rest. So what's Isaiah prophesying about? This time when lions will lay down with lambs and ox will be fine with wolves and he paired them differently. But however it lays out to where the aggressive ones are eating like the non-aggressive ones and they're just hanging out and having a fine time and kids are playing with snakes and all that kind of deal. It doesn't make sense to us. I mean, think back to a time when you ever saw anything like that. When's the first rest that we hear about in Scripture? Creation. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Now, did God need rest because he was tired? No. In fact, if you look at our title, The Lord's Resting Place, that is a strange thing for us to wrap our head around as well. I think when you hear of someone's resting place, what do you think of? bed, maybe, a cemetery, a columbarium, a final resting place, right? Is it? I wouldn't say it's permanent. But it's interesting to think on these resting places that we think about in our mind. So the Lord's resting place, well, we know that the Lord didn't die at the end of creation, but he rested from his work. And then work year after here, time after time, era after era, epoch after epoch, and then finally this time comes where Christ is born into the middle of things, this root from the stump of Jesse, this one from the line of David who's going to come with righteousness and faithfulness and lead his people. You can imagine the excitement of the people as he grows older and he gets welcomed in as a prophet, as a teacher, as the one who is there to lead the people except he's going to do it differently. He is going to bring rest. In fact, he even said that, right? Come to me, those who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know how much rest there is when you know your sins are forgiven? You know how much rest there is when you know that things are in the Lord's hands? You know how much rest there is when you know that he's the one working for your good, when he's the one taking care of your salvation, when he's the one who's doing everything for you to believe in that same promise, that faith to believe in the hope of the forgiveness of our sins in Christ alone, when he's the one doing the work on your behalf for your good. There's rest. This child that plays and the snakes and all that kind of thing. Think of that imagery as it's given to Isaiah and he's looking forward at some event that's going to happen based upon a promise that God gave to Adam and Eve in creation. One from your line, Eve, will crush the serpent's head while that serpent bruises his heel. All of this imagery all kind of melded together and then finally at Golgotha where you see Satan being defeated by Christ, where you see him dying in your place to defeat sin, death, and the devil, so that when Christ is there and hanging upon the cross and then taken down, they lay him to rest <laughs> on the Sabbath because it was the right thing to do. But did he stay there? No, not at all rose from there to bring life, 
rose from there to proclaim victory, rose from there so that and the day comes when he comes back, that final resting place, that place of the Lord's resting place, this place that Isaiah is talking about, this place where Christ's victory and reign and rule will be seen fully and entirely in this new creation, this beautiful place that he has opened the gates to you for, this place that he has won for you, this place that he, as he recreates creation, as he redeems creation, as he brings about a new heavens and a new earth, this place that we wait for during Advent, this place that we wait for his second coming, at that time, that's when we will see all of that righteousness and faithfulness leading his people fully. That's when we will see the true peace that will come when there is no more chaos or hurt, when there is no more stress or guilt, where there is no more worrying about whether or not all the things are done rightly because Christ will have done them fully and completely for you. What a place of rest. Not inactivity or sleepiness or any of those things, but a rest from the stresses of wondering whether or not God has actually done everything needful. You see, we'll see it. It won't take hope at that point, and it won't take faith at that point, because you'll have the promise fulfilled. It'll be handed over to you. It's already been fulfilled, and it's already yours, but we'll actually see it. It'll be given to us. It'll be handed over, and we will be able to live in that place of our Lord's resting place where you are invited into and you have already sort of been brought into through your baptism. It's yours, a true rest that will come from nowhere else in the world except for Christ. In him alone we wait. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us rest through your Son, Jesus. And as you continually point us to him by your Spirit, we pray that you would continue to strengthen our faith, that you would continue to give us longing hearts waiting for the day that Christ comes back, and that we would wait with joy, knowing that it is fully worked out, fully completed, and that in Jesus we do find rest, and our resting place. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as